Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. And we're rolling. Ad molto son. Oh, you're getting sentimental. Ad moto sanos, vivas. I'm not going. Thing. I'm not going to do the whole, whole thing. So that's the song we sing at the end of uh, NAC banquets here in Rome, and uh, to many years to you, Father Mike Rapp. I know this is the end. Catholic this is stuff the last podcast here for Father Mike in Rome. The end. Here's to a new beginning. Beautiful Roma. Beautiful Roma. Land of the saints. Land of the saints. Six years, my friend. Oh, Six yeah. years. You came here in your twenties. Did I? Funny to think that. Yeah, right? That was a long time Aren't ago. Aren't you 35? Yeah. Yeah, I must have. Well, 35 years young. Well, I tell you what, it is uh, great to be back in Italy. I forgot how charming Italians are. Oh, boy. They're disturbingly charming. I love it. We were up in Assisi, and uh, we were, we went to this restaurant, uh, something, something, terrazza. It's... Um, Great view over the... Oh, yeah, that was a is, terrible plug for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. people are going to travel over there. Hey, is there a something-something terrazza? If you, want to, if you want the name of this, just email us, and we'll get it. It's a great restaurant in Assisi, but we went there in November, last November. Do you remember that? With all the guys? Oh, this I remember. like 50 priests, companions. All of us were in Assisi. And the place we had bailed on us last minute, so Gobel and I are frantically walking through the town, and we go up to this place, and we talked to Andrea, and uh, Gobel all of a sudden speaks fluent Italian, and I was like, when did you learn Italian? He goes, I speak the language of food everywhere, and I was like, that's amazing. So we had this great night. We went back to that restaurant uh, last week when we were in Assisi, and we asked him in Italian, uh, Eusterman goes, do you remember our group? And he says, ho pensato da tua banqueta, banqueta, uh, tutti giorni. I have thought about your banquet every day, and it's like yes. you are so full. Every moment of my life, it's I think so, of you. But he's so charming, and it's like, oh, you've thought about us every day since we were gone. It's like police. And even if you know, they say oh, that's a un po' esagerato, uh, a little exaggerated. Uh huh. But it's wonderful. Oh, it's so wonderful, and it really does make you feel like a million bucks. And you're like, I'll just buy anything off you. We're gonna tip you like crazy, and then. Um, yeah, There's so also here's, this is just advice about flattery, is exaggerate things, you know? If you say, you are the most beautiful woman I have ever right. seen in my life, she knows that you're not, like, you know, that's not absolute or whatever, but she likes it. Right. If you say, you are the coolest dude that I have ever met, this right. is awesome, right. then, all right, I'll take that. They have a great flair for hyperbole down here in the Mediterranean, and uh, the biggest schmoozer, though, in Assisi is... Um, the guys, the leather shop on the in the main piazza. Oh there, yeah, that's your guy. They sell these Bible covers, brewery covers. If you meet anybody from Stoneville who studied in Gomming and went to CC, they probably have one of these. They do a great job, but they have purses and handbags and all this different stuff. And my mom bought like hundreds of dollars off this guy because he was just oh, yeah. working it. And uh, Andrea and Megan went in there, and uh, he looks at Andrea and he goes. Where are you from? And she says, United American. He goes, You're not American. You're from Napoli. And he grabs and he goes, Look at your nose. <laughs> and she's just like, I'll buy anything off of you. Oh, I'm so Italian. You're from Napoli. And, uh, and she is uh, very Italian. So She's so, Sicilian, no? Sicilian and uh, from Capri. Oh, we really? were talking about. Well, I didn't know she was from there. This is one of those things. We're talking to this guy and we're like, Oh, yeah, they're going to Capri. Cosa, uh, where is Capri? And then. Oh, Capri, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, seriously. Well, we but, learned it as Capri. Right, so Capri. It's Capri Sun. I That's what we grew your up. fruit juice, your, you know that little straw? Do you poke it in the top or in the bottom? Uh, the bottom only when you're totally infuriated and you just can't take it really? anymore. Yeah. When the straw bends, when you break the straw. You know, Capri Sun is one of the best selling products in history for having one of the most, like, unhelpful designs. It's like, seriously? Really? Could but it have, is fun. It's is kind it fun? of intriguing. If it was easier, it would just not be as. Is it that fun? Did you have fun growing up? You're like, this is so much fun. I can't get. I cannot get this goodness in me because I, I think can't when I was a kid, straw. it was more fun. Now it's not so fun because I just want to have a drink. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's true. Just put that sweet juice in my. Put that bu- sweet my goodness mouth. in me. Yeah, yeah. The Italians, they they know how to work us over, and it's funny to to be back and to watch them. Just you know, they just know what they're doing, man. It's like. Uh, and I love watching Americans kind of interact. You hear them in the piazzas. I told this story to Gilba. He was loving it. But this guy is like this loud American. 
sitting in the piazza in Assisi, and he's like, rocket salad, what the F is that? And he was just <laughs> screaming. It's like arugula, they call it rocket here. So you got rocket salad, and some of these translations are pretty hilarious. <laughs> pretty hilarious. Actually, I should pull up one. I just saw, I got an email today, and they, they translate it for you, but it's like, it's absolutely amazing. But I was like, this is what it sounds like when I speak Italian to people. It's like just words and totally incomprehensible what did we have we had a lot uh oh no there's a there's a new reception desk that's built at my school and i was i was uh schlepping books back and forth um sending stuff back to the states and this guy was telling me about the new lodge at the at the school and i was thinking like what did they build a hut on top of the (laughs) roof or something and i was trying to like get it out of him like what are you talking about is there a new room or a new section of the school or whatever well he was talking about the reception desk the new lodge but he's foreign and he was he had looked it up on google search or something he's like yeah. and it said that that's a lodge yeah we got the lodge here and i said that's not a that that's is not funny. a lodge yeah oh i can't find this email it was like it was amazing it was one of the best best things I've ever seen but okay yeah so we're back here. Uh, back in Italy. So, I what do you want to do? You got two Nortina days. pasta. You today. got two days left. What's what's your uh, yeah? What's your uh, plan? What do you uh, want to see? For a guy who's lived in Rome for six years, what do you do in your last seventy-two hours? Right. Well, I'd like to do mass at. Well, I'm going to do mass with the missionaries of charity. I've been a chaplain for them for a long time, and it's going to be hard to say goodbye. But I'm going to have mass with them tomorrow morning, and then mass with the Polish sisters. There's, um, okay, look, Catholic stuff you should know. Blessed Honoratus, okay, this Polish priest who started their order is a wild-looking fellow. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's got the coolest beard and this look in his eye. If you can find a picture of Blessed Honoratus, his uh, feast is October 13th. Is that Saturday? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think Uh, it's... October 13th. Yeah, anyways... What day is it today? It's probably October it's the 11th. 16th. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, the 13th. So I want everybody to develop a devotion to Blessed Honoratus, Honoratus. with the awesome beard. Of the awesome beard. Honoratus, yeah. Yeah. Polish, what century? This was 18th, 20th. 20th. I think early 20th. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. So they that. got the big feast on sure. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sunday is the big um, canonization. So I'm going to celebrate with them. I'm going to buy them flowers. Are yeah. you going to that? Paul the Sixth, Oscar Romero. I read some Oscar Romero. I'm going to oh, put yeah. that back on you. How much have you read of Oscar Romero? I got two I books. I saw the movie yeah, several right. times. I got two books in the mail from an unnamed person, and it took me about a year to figure out who sent him. It was Paul Palumbo. Ah. And I read a number of his sermons and letters and things, and it was, I was very impressed. Yeah. So I'm just... Oh, he's a true saint. I mean, I'm just joking. If you're getting canonized in our church, use right. a true saint. Right. Paul VI was a great hero of the people, published Humanae Vitae. Right. That's uh, even against a lot of opposition. This is the, the document that, among other things, um, de- really declared the, the teaching of the church on contraception. And it was very controversial in its time, but he really stood his ground, and it's true. It's really brought a lot of um, f- good fruit to the church. Yeah. He's he suffered a lot. He was hated from both sides. Yeah, you know, people who thought he was holding the line, he wasn't progressive enough. Conservatives who thought he was destroying the church, and so the poor guy. But the more you read him and his writings, it's like really. I mean, he he's amazing. So yeah, some great new saints. I'm riding in the Gran Fondo. People ask me, are "You going to the canonization?" Oh, that's I'm like, right. I'm going on a bike ride. But this is one of my dreams: is to do an Italian Gran Fondo. So what's the Gran Fondo? They do these all over Italy. It's like the big race of a local area. Is it area. an annual thing? Yep, every year. So this is the big one for Rome uh, where you, I mean, there's going to be thousands of people riding. I would have liked to have done this, I know, but it's I'm just out of too shape. much. No, you could do it. You could do it. Now, it's I'm going to a canonization. It's the same. Good. It's the same ride Look that at we, this. we did all the time up into the Castelli. There's these little um, mountain towns, maybe about 30 miles, 20 miles from Rome. Uh, Castel Gandolfo is the most famous of them, and it's just glorious. It's so beautiful. So we're going to ride up in there and zip around. But I love Italians because you sign up for a bike race in the United States, they give you a little little badge thing, you know, piece of paper you got to put on your... A number? Yeah. Yeah. In Italy, they're like, oh, no, no. You're going to get a full 
uniform. Oh yeah, with your number on it, but everybody's going to dress the same. It's all about the bella figura. Oh like, yeah, you're going to look just. Do awesome. they make you paint your bike? No, they don't. But I love that. It's like everybody is going to be decked out in this, oh, yeah. you know, Roman colors. You know, so because it's the Grand Fondo. So, well, that's, that's a great event, man. Yeah, you're going to love that. It's going to be great. I hope I survive it. I Are you going to make it? I know. It's like. Have you ever ridden with a pack of Italians? I never have, but I imagine. Are they going to see you? They're going to see you German, and they're going to push you off the road. They're going to push me off the road. Yeah. No. The funny thing about these Italians is, I, I would be riding up some of these these mountains and there's these big fat old guys bombing past me and they're talking to each other they're they're talking and they're speaking like italian so they're gesticulating everything is just with their hands and they're flying up these mountains yeah you know well they're fueled on nothing but um espresso yeah <laughs> and it's the more it's the most powerful energy drink known to man yeah yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun. So, but yeah. anyways, enjoy the canonization. Well, I'll hope to get tickets. I actually haven't been mindful of things. Yep. I just came to pack and get back, and yeah. you know, I've been kind of wandering about. But that's Any, the plan. Anything and else? And I'd like to see. I'd like to do uh, celebrate another mass at the uh, St. Peter's. Yep. We'll probably do that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. No. And then um, pray at the Jesu. Nice. Where we prayed. Every day for a year. We did. That's right. That's a special spot. The um, yeah, that's good. And you know, it's one of these things. Like you're going to come back to Rome. You know, you'll be back. You'll have more research to do. You'll be visiting. Yeah, you never and know what take... life holds. That is true. But I imagine you'll probably like. I know. Sometimes the temptation is like you got to do everything right now. It's like no, nah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of things, and I'm actually at peace. You know, I could go back right now and. Really appreciate my. You time might never home. leave Iceland. You might just get to Reykjavik and say, "I'm going to incarnate here." And there's a couple of people though that I might want to take. Fra- uh, Francisco, Francesco. Francesco down there. <laughs> what did I call it? Francisco. I've been doing Latin. Francisco's. Francisco's. Uh, Francesco down at uh, Abruzzi. Abruzzi. Oh yeah. If I could just have a couple of his cigars, oh, this yeah. guy is constantly smoking a cigar. I don't know how he does it. He serves food, and then he's smoking a cigar all the time. We were there yesterday with Tyler Tracy and Lauren, his new beautiful wife. They got the blessing from yeah, the Pope. Yeah, congratulations. Um, and Paolo was making fun, or Carlo was making fun of Francesco. He's, he's been there for 40 years. He says he came with the furniture you oh, know, when they man. opened the place. So. 40 years, yeah. 40 years. Isn't that crazy? Good dude. Yeah. We got in a cab with a guy who had been driving the taxi in Rome for 50 years. Whoa. 50 years. And uh, he, Eusterman, the more Eusterman would ask him questions, um, he uh the slower he would drive and i was like oh yeah he wants so i started to yelling i in really bad german at Usterman because i didn't want to offend the driver but i was like no more questions oh people Kein love v- to talk v- people Fragen. here love to talk I, I went to ship my stuff this guy is like dealing with fedex on his computer and it's taking forever and he's like oh i gotta get to lunch i need a break uh man it's been a long morning and everything and then i asked him about this picture on the wall and he goes off for like a half an hour <laughs> telling me all the history of the Institute and giving me books and all this stuff. I say, don't you have somewhere to be? Like, you got to get somewhere. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. If I got a chance to talk to you. I would say that if you're learning the language, if you're learning Italian, um, maybe some new knack guys uh, coming over. I freaked out early on thinking I'm missing everything. I'm missing like 80%. But you realize they're just saying the same thing. So you're yeah. good. As long as you catch it eventually. Just yeah, hang in there long you just, enough. You know, smile and nod. The old smile and nod. The old smile and nod. You got to perfect the dumb smile and nod. They like that though. I think yeah, they like doesn't? the sound of Italian because it sounds so beautiful. It's just like it just it's like music, you know. I think they like speaking. It's just kind of like you know. It doesn't matter if you understand. You know what I like? I'm gonna I'm gonna just like uh, throw out an idea here. Oh uh, yeah, here we go. What about we're we're going on the Seek conference and. Uh, I want to. I want to suggest a, a contest. What if we had everybody who is a fan of this podcast, who listens to the show, uh, make temporary tattoos, <laughs> and I will give my bear hat. I have this bear hat that has been my identity for the, the cub bear for the summer. Yeah. Really. The Cub Bear. Now, it's sweaty and gross, actually, right now. So maybe a different prize. No, it's but a good prize. I am going to offer a personal prize to the best temporary tattoo that I see among 
the uh, what audience, the seat goers, the the focus conference goers. I like how uh, Holy Fool Rap makes that sound like that was spontaneous, but this is that actually is so spontaneous. <laughs> that is the fruit of a long conversation uh, over dinner a couple weeks ago or last week. Whether when we go to seek. My theory is that college kids actually don't listen to the podcast. They just like subscribe and kind of like know about it, like Goebbels mullet. They and they're going to show up. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think they actually like. They're going to do things to. Yeah, they're not prepared into it. No. So I we were know. debating over what to Maybe do, and his too. idea was tattoos. But I think it's a cool idea. You can just like, go. Like you can idea. go to your neighborhood office depot, get the paper for tattoos, print it off. You design that stuff. I will be the judge. And I will give my cub hat. Are you going to be... Um, All right. So if people think this is too lame or something, then get what lost. If somebody has get a Don, lost. What if somebody has a Don Quixote tattoo from Picasso on their chest? No, it has to be like in a visible place that doesn't become okay. awkward. Please. Okay. <laughs> awkward means you're not going to win. Okay. So on the arm. Yeah. Oh, that would be pretty convincing, I would think. Windmill. If you have a good reason for it. You gotta explain it to me probably, but Yeah. Well that's if you a, just have a cool design, that's, that's a cool too. very inventive idea. We'll see. Somebody's gonna do it, so you better bring that cub bear hat. There's gonna be yeah, one I'm kid. Gonna bring it, man. There's gonna be one kid from I'm gonna Carl, wash it before Carl School of Mines who's gonna have a tattoo and you're gonna have to yeah, give yeah. your cub bear hat over to him. Absolutely. For we're an walking, engineer. We're walking through the streets of Florence last week. And uh we're, we're like right in the historic center, and all of a sudden Mike freaks out, and I was like, "What's going on?" And he goes, oh, "There's a guy with a cup of hat, exact same hat, he dude walking hat. opposite direction." And I was like, "Are you going to talk to him?" And you had about a two second window, and you're like, "Not feeling it," and that was it. Well, I don't want to ruin it, but that was crazy. It was like your doppelhanger. Well, it is crazy because I I think this is a very unique hat, and it's I saw a very it unique hat from some hipster in Italy. It was an Italian. I, I want to point that out. Are you it was sure an about Italian. that? Italian. Yeah. That makes it even crazier. Oh, no, yeah. not crazy because it's high fashion, dude. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Well, maybe it'll be on Kate and Grace. You can wear it with your Ooh. Sancho pants. What are those things called? Gauchos. Gauchos. Your donchos. Yeah, with the donchos. <laughs> All right. We got to move on. We gotta, donchos of the gypsy. We got to talk to, we got to teach something here. People like content. They like content that's never been Who done, was that? done before. That Australian priest, he was saying he didn't like the banter, or he did? Well, he was very, what was his, he was very deferential. Father David, yeah, he was like, I remember the days when the podcasts were seven minutes long. We're like, yeah. Another, I know, but he's a true fan. And then he said, you could. He didn't say, I don't like the banter. He just said, I know this is a very sensitive topic, but if you wanted to shorten it, hypothetically, you could hey, clip father, the banter a bit. I want to see your tattoo at the seat conference <laughs> <laughs> 2019. Oh, boy. Okay, give me some content. What do you want? What do you want? Okay, so here's what we're doing. I've been doing like kind of a series. It's not that intentional, but I have been talking about and interested in the historical Jesus. Okay? So you know about the historical Jesus? A little bit. It's something of part of the movement of modern scripture scholarship was to look at the whole situation of the literature of the New Testament and to say, you know, how much of this represents who Jesus was without any elaboration? Because there was a sense when they dug into the texts to say, well, wait a minute, Jesus didn't report anything himself. He didn't write an autobiography. There, there's no claims in the New Testament that they're writing off of Jesus's journal, prayer journal, or diary, or personal notes, or something like that. It's the next generation telling the story of Jesus, right? Right. So some scholars, very skeptical scholars, that was kind of the birth of modern scholarship, said maybe a lot of what we're reading in the New Testament is a fabrication on the life of Jesus, that they take the, the true things that happened to Jesus and then turn it all into legends, you know, kind of blow it up. Right or put their own spin on it. These are the certain things that we'd like him to say, so we're going to put it in his mouth, and that's that sort of stuff. So there was an effort for a while to dig in to try to find the real Jesus behind the Gospels. 
you know. Um, so this obviously poses a problem for believers, you know, for for the the historical historically minded modern historian who starts with skepticism and then wants to piece together what seems like the most sure facts. Um, there's an intriguing project here. But it turned out that after there were a, a lot of models sort of uh, suggested that it was very difficult to decide, well, who is the real Jesus? Like, where is the real Jesus? Now, the tradition of Christianity is that uh, Jesus being the incarnate Son of God, incarnate God, knew himself to be God throughout his life, knew himself to be the Messiah, knew himself to be the, the king in the, in the line of David, knew himself to be on a mission that would end in death and resurrection and um, to reform Judaism. So here you have, um, you have a sense that everything that you read in the Gospels is just a simple historical report of what Jesus did, you know, and um, and it fits in line perfectly in line with our uh, Christological doctrine, right? Right. In the tradition. I'm 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 just interested to hear where we're <laughs> going to go here. Like, oh, where? No, I'm just curious. Yeah, you, you, uh, you can check me on <laughs> on any heresy. So. No, no, no. You're just yeah. I mean, you're presenting, um, you know, modern exegesis, biblical exegesis. This is the this is yeah. the question, right? The quest for the historical Jesus. Yeah. Who is the historical Jesus? Right. And that already, that question presumes that the gospel Jesus is not the one who is the reality, like historical fact, right? Right. Here's a problem for, you know, believing Christians, obviously. Right. So, more recently, there has been a, um, a push to continue using observations about history to try to, I mean, it's... It's not exactly apologetic, but in some way to to fill out this very oversimplified picture that these historical Jesus scholars had presented of Jesus. Because every model for who Jesus probably was before he was elaborated by Christian tradition um, seems to be oversimplified. It doesn't seem to fit um, all the facts of history. And um, it's really, this historical Jesus has proved to be rather elusive, you know, in, in, in the final rendering, the final judgment. So um, they're looking for this Jesus, but they're kind of recreating everything in um, modern categories. So, for example, um, the uh, liberal Protestants of the end of the 19 uh, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century they valued mo- over everything the moral life and um, the simple storytelling of the bible you know it gives us lessons for life how to be a good person right that was their form of christianity so when they look at jesus they found the historical jesus to be this great storyteller who gave us lessons for life right and then there were things like the the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, his engagement with the Jewish cult, uh, that aren't terribly important, and they kind of sideline those things. So miracles, anything, yeah, even the supernatural, divine, all that stuff. All oh, that that's just, just exaggeration. We're just looking for a nice teacher. Yeah, a guy who taught good lessons, right. who who essentially just said, "Do unto others as as you would have them do unto you." You know. So that was one perspective, but it's obvious that this is anachronistic. That mm-hmm. is, these scholars are are painting Jesus in their own image, right? Um, but that's not the that can't be the historical Jesus. So there was there were challenges to that. One famous challenge is Albert Schweitzer. Schweitzer, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what he says? I don't. Other than it was kind of like he kind of called it out and was like, "You're making the historical Jesus look like an." 19th century liberal Protestant. Yeah. Like you're just, you've refashioned Supreme, him nice guy. In your teacher, own image. wise guy. Right. You make him look like what you want to look like. Yeah. And they and they had written off anything that was kind of weird. Right. And th- like you say, the the um, 
the kind of miracles and anything that looked maybe magical. Um, so am I mistaken to say the first quest is like 19th century guys we're talking about? Second quest begins yeah, with into the uh, into Schweitzer? the end of the 19th. Oh shoot! Well, I don't want to. I don't want to make mistakes on the terminology. I thought there were three quests. There are three quests. Okay. Sorry. That's this right. really doesn't matter. I don't mean to. That's right. Well, I'll the... I'll paint it that way, but I I'm not so sure about the terminology. So the first the first move is to say Jesus is not who we thought he was. He's not the what you can see in the Gospels, and he's actually just a nice guy who's teaching. Then you had a a push to say no. Well, he's a nice guy who's teaching, but he also saw himself as a prophet, and he was an end times prophet. He was an apocalyptic prophet. That's the second question. Yeah, and he was doing things that prophets would do, like healing people, miracles, um, preaching a radical message, and critiquing um, some of the institution that existed in his time, and also preaching the end times. The mm-hmm. the end time is coming, or the end of the age is coming. So then. Uh, the problem was that that doesn't really recognize that Jesus could have thought that things could keep going. You know, it looks like here's the guy who's coming to try to try to tell God bring an end to the whole world. It's corrupt and it needs salvation, and the only way to do that is to is to end the whole world and then start over, right? So his picture wasn't entirely you know satisfying. And uh, we had to go beyond. So the the quest continues. You have these contemporary voices that are maybe this third wave. Of, N.T. Wright in these guys. Yeah, yeah, of like N.T. Wright, who's saying, well, what is the historical evidence that we have that Jesus was what the Gospels claimed he was? That, that they were reporting more of their experience and eyewitness of Jesus than than just kind of their idealization of this character. You know, this nice poor guy from the country mm-hmm. who taught good lessons or was kind of a freak prophet, and then we'll normalize him or whatever. So th- the idea is, how can we see Jesus as like a comprehensible figure in history who is also the figure that we find in the Gospels, you know, with all the stories, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the historical quest. Cool. So I wanted to add a little, a little piece, another little suggestion. I like to throw Is out these ideas. Is this a fourth ideas. quest? No, 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 because I'm just building on you know, okay. the insights of others um, who have done mostly this third quest. Okay, so particularly I want to draw attention to the Targums and the Akedah. Okay? Do you know what the Akedah is? No. Do you know about the... It's the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. Mm. Do you know that story? I do. This is from Genesis 22. How okay. does the story go? The story goes, Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain. He's called by God. He's called by God to take him up and offer sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, Isaac picks up on the story and says, what are we doing here? And he says, God will provide himself the lamb. And he's about ready to kill him at the on the mountain when the angel stops him in. They catch a ram in the in the thicket, thicket, and offer the sacrifice. Yes, and that becomes the place of Jerusalem eventually. Yeah, that's Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah. Traditionally, yeah, it's the place where the Dome of the Rock is right now, right. and the center of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, so, yeah, fascinating history of the place. How do you interpret that? What's the point of the story? Of Abraham and Isaac. This is Kierkegaard's Kierkegaard question. wrote that. Uh, Not that you have to fear go and trembling on, on the this. Kierkegaard route, but teleological suspension of the ethical is what he calls it. Yeah. Well, now don't go down the Kierkegaard route. Um, like, what would it have meant? Like, what's the what's the point of that? I story? think the radicality of faith. Yeah. Okay, that's the second wave. Okay. So, the first the the exegetes say that the first meaning of this. A story was probably um, a te- an etiological explanation. That is, it explains c- current practice, and it explains why Israel does not sacrifice human beings, but other cultures do. Huh. And so it was it was a way of showing, telling a story 
because the earliest Israelites lived around a lot of people who were, were sacrificing, were sacrificing human beings mm-hmm. and thought that the gods wanted to do that. Now you tell a story that shows God does not want you to sacrifice human beings, but animal sacrifice is um, an acceptable substitute mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of ancient peoples thought, you know, the gods needed these radical sacrifices. What's more radical than sacrificing your own mm-hmm. kind? You know, and it's pretty sick. But we know it from human history. Now, how often that happened in, in and around uh, the Israelites, we're not sure. So it's still speculative. That's, that's a theory that um, this story came from that uh, or, or serves that purpose to distinguish That's interesting. I never Israel. heard that. Later on, and not, not long after, even in the, in the Old Testament writings, this becomes a figure of faith. Abraham shows his faith. This was a test of faith to see if Abraham was willing to do to give the ultimate sacrifice. But God had never really wanted him to sacrifice. He just wanted to put him to the test. Okay, so it becomes a figure. Abraham becomes this father of faith, this like figurehead for Israel that the, the Jewish people are defined by their radical faith. And here's a story of their father, right? So that's where you were going, right? Right, right. That's where I was going. Yeah, and that in the New Testament you find that right in Hebrews you hear about Abraham as the father of faith because he was willing to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, that's there's a, there's two explanations of the story of the Akedah. The Akedah is the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Okay, Christians quickly interpreted this story as uh, a typological story. So what would that mean? So that it was a type of uh, a foreshadowing of the reality to come in Christ. Right. So Romans, um, oh boy, three, uh, Romans 8.32. I don't know, I have my notes here. Uh, <laughs> uh, where are you going to be? Romans 8.32 alludes to the uh, sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham by talking about God as he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with, uh, with him, graciously give us all things? He's talking about God as the father who was prefigured by Abraham mm-hmm. And Jesus as the sacrifice, um, Isaac, who the time wasn't right at the time of Abraham, or God was just giving them a prefigurement, giving them a story so that when Jesus comes, they would understand this as the father offering his own son, a, a sacrifice that's necessary for the redemption of the world, but didn't, wasn't, wasn't ready in its time with Abraham and Isaac. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was this cosmic drama of God giving his own son right. as a sacrifice. So this is the, the typological explanation of the Akedah that's given by the earliest Christians, by Paul, and also lots of other Christian literature. So in the epistle of Barnabas, you find the same typology. And then in the earliest church fathers, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Origen, they all comment on this typology. Mm. When they talk about Genesis 22, they talk about Isaac as a prefigurement of Jesus. And they go into it a little more, specifically about carrying the wood as a prefigurement of Jesus carrying his cross and these kinds of things. Um, Even the lamb of sacrifice. Okay. So, we have uh, these various shades of interpretation, but the the question became, by uh, by the first century, well, modern scholars are asking, by the first century, how much of this Akedah tradition had become sacrificial and typological before Jesus? Okay, so you had Abraham as a father of faith, as an example, but you didn't, it seems like a Christian move to say that this was a prefigurement of something that was going to come, right? However, in very early rabbinic texts, like the Targums, uh, I'll explain what a Targum is, um, there are uh, expansions of Genesis 22 so that they say that Isaac 
himself was going to give his blood, sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel and the world. Um, we don't know how old these traditions are, but it's possible that they extend back into the time of Jesus, that Jesus himself would have heard in the synagogue and been aware and been taught this kind of um, sacrificial atoning interpretation of Genesis 22, of the Akedah, hmm. and could have seen himself very easily, um, knowing that he was going to be persecuted, knowing that he was going to his death, uh, as a fulfillment of this type that had been prefigured in Abraham. So I think this is uh, potentially, this is in Targum um, Pseudo-Jonathan, uh, Genesis 22, and also the uh, in Rabbi Mikilta. Mikilta. If you want to look up Rabbi Mikilta's work. Um, so in these early Jewish traditions, you already have something of a precedent for this idea. Not that Christians are taking that and then imposing that on, on Jesus' death, but I'm arguing that it's possible that Jesus could have been informed by these things and um, could have known himself and his mission um, even more in a, in a very refined way according to the Old Testament types. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because you think of it as kind of one of two extremes with Bible exegesis. Either you have faith and Jesus was God and he knew everything and he had it all figured out and he just kind of kind of rolled through it, but you lose the humanity there. Or you go to the other extreme, he didn't know anything, he was just kind of, yeah. kind of moving through life, he got killed, no divinity there. But this is interesting because actually from the historical documents from the Targum that he actually would have been conscious of what he was undertaking in a just sheerly humanly. Yeah. Yeah. Or or knowing that that's a possibility for the just man, you know, the death of the just man could fulfill this this sort of role in the stories in the worldview of Israel. Now, I do think I I don't want to um well, I I think it's important to stress that for him to understand his role in this whole drama and his relationship to God, he has to have privileged knowledge. I mean, I'm not trying to deny the fact that Jesus had the beatific vision or that right. he was aware of history and his own destiny better than the average human being. You know, I think that's important. I, that's like a part of our tradition. Yep. And I, but I think those of us who are trying to um, find evidence that uh, demonstrates the capacity to connect the dots and then to fulfill your own destiny that way um, can help to show that this isn't um, this isn't just a game that the, the second generation were playing, like a, a, an imaginative theological game that they wrote back into the life and death of Jesus or what they thought was the resurrection. You know, I think this. I think good historical evidence can help us to. Um, defend the historical Jesus as being the same one that's reported in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. You know, the one who predicts his own death, who takes on sacrifice. And then also, um, there are lots of theologians who say there's not a lot of atonement in the New Testament. But um, this su- this would suggest that Jesus himself saw himself as a, an atoning sacrifice, like Isaac, and uh, like the Jewish traditions were um, interpreting that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think in any way you're. I don't think you're denying the beatific vision that Christ in His divinity had full knowledge of these things and was always in union with the Father. But the, the the mystery then of like how how did he really live his humanity? You know, it wasn't just kind of a mask and that he was, you know, operating out of, but that he really was human. That he experienced some kind of God forsakenness, you know, in the garden and in, in uh, on the cross. Um, but somehow had an awareness of this, and that yeah, there would be a human historical way that he could have known that as well. So and revealed the, and revealed. I mean, we yeah. be- believe that the story right. of Abraham and Isaac is revealed. So what is the targum? Going back to that for a second. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I should explain the targum. <laughs> so a targum is an Aramaic translation of the Old Testament, um, or a section of the Old Testament. So uh, by the time Jesus came along, and well before that. Uh, people in Palestine and Syria and uh, throughout what we call the Levant, that is from modern Turkey south to Egypt, um, along the coast of the Mediterranean, those people are all speaking Aramaic. 
And Hebrew has become like a dead language, like an old religious language. It would be like Latin for probably for Catholics in the 1930s to 50s, you know. They are aware of it. They understand some of it, but they really don't use it. Mm -hmm. So um, the Hebrew Bible has been translated into Aramaic. We don't know exactly when, but the Targums are Aramaic translations that also add a bunch of commentary along the way. So we're not sure what what purpose they served. Um, They're not strict translations into Aramaic because they have these theological expansions, but um, they're very intriguing. Scholars can't really pin down. The theories are that the the Targums were produced um, anywhere between the 1st century B.C. to the 9th century A.D., um, the the ones that we read and that have been copied. So um, there are intriguing pieces of, of Jewish uh, interpretive history, but they're very hard to kind of set in time. So in the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, among the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a Targum of Job that was found that kind of called into question a lot of the late dating of the, of the Targums. So the, they probably had some form when Jesus was around. And, and if they did, they were probably used, this is um, a theory of Robert McNamara, they were probably used as homiletic in, uh, in synagogue services. So because you had a sacred language, the, the Old Testament would have to be read in Hebrew, but people don't understand it. So you proclaim it in Hebrew, and then you uh, proclaim it again in this Aramaic, reading from this Aramaic uh, translation with added comments. Mm. And so the added comments are, are of what's interest. So if somebody's listening to this and they say, wow, this is weird, I've never heard of this, look up Targum Pseudo-Jonathan for Genesis 22, and you'll see all the additions. There's things like um, Isaac says to Abraham, um, make sure to tie me up right. Uh, because I don't, well, I, I think he just says, make sure to tie me up right. It, it doesn't exist in the Hebrew. And you say, well, why is, that, why is it there? For one, probably to ensure that the sacrifice is valid, because if he doesn't tie him up right, mm-hmm. there was a lot of strict laws about how to do a sacrifice. But then also, Isaac is giving himself voluntarily, and that becomes an important part of the interpretive tradition after that, too. So there's these little additions that happen in this Targum, this translation, and uh, they have a theological impact, but we're not exactly sure where they come from or how. Some think that Christians rewrote these things to add little pieces that sound like their own theology, but uh, it called interpolations. But um, I'm of the opinion that they're, they're rather old, they're Jewish, they might have come from some interaction with Christians and even reactionary, but um, they are filled with things like messianism and the end times are coming and the Messiah um, shows up as a comment, a theological comment on a lot of different passages in the Old Testament. And then this Akedah, which has become a famous um, kind of section. Hmm. Even the the Quran has the Akedah and the Muslims report Abraham, but it looks like, and in the tradition of Islam, that the one who is being sacrificed is Ishmael, mm-hmm. because he's yeah, the chosen, he yeah. yeah, the chosen mm-hmm. son of Abraham, and the and the descendants of Ishmael are the the Arabs. So a bunch of <laughs> there's a bunch of facts on the Akedah. Well, I will say uh, that that's very helpful because um, I always found Genesis 22 to be kind of like. I don't know, you read Kierkegaard and you're kind of like, yeah, what is, what's going on here? There's got to be more to this. And so uh, it's helpful to hear that. And then also with the historical Jesus stuff, I just kind of get bored or despair. So it's nice to, to kind of hear you, you bringing in some different sources and some different things and saying, wait a second, there's actually like, you know, we don't yeah. have to be afraid to kind of engage this. And your job, yeah. your job is to engage these, these uh, modern exegetes um, who are doing doing it apart from faith and all of the complexity that comes with that. But uh, we leave that to the experts like you to handle that. Well, but. if you're interested, if you're interested in Jesus, you want to know anything about him. Right. So you read a lot of theology. If you're into his history or 
in this case, the historical Jesus studies, I think, is a venue to really dig deep and ask, where is Jesus? I think you've got to be careful not to trust the modern scholars too quickly and to kind of let the facts develop. There's also a problem of, uh, we just have these little artifacts of history. We don't actually have a lot of material. So if you try to reconstruct something based on a little ruin here and a little ruin here of archaeology, you could probably come up with something goofy, you know. And that's part of the mystery, I think, of Christianity, is that we don't have a lot of artifacts. I mean, the Gospels are super, super close to the life of Jesus. They're written within generations of Jesus, and um, they're trustworthy. I don't think there's should be a question about that. But in the end, it's like, well, how do you prove something right. in a scientific way? Right. It's, it's hard to do. Well, and I think my, my frustration with the whole historical Jesus thing is um, you're trying to um, understand something outside of the living tradition of faith, which of the church. And it's all about the level of presuppositions. And again, this is a whole other topic, so we don't need to get into this right now because I know we're wrapping up. But um, they just changed the game. Right, they just changed the board. They said, "This is how we're going to play. This is how it's going to work." And uh, and it's like, but you just you made it impossible to know the historical Jesus because there's no way to actually know him in purely yeah. You start the science with, of archaeology skepticism. Right, it's you almost like a skept- Cartesian. Right, it's the hermeneutic you know, of suspicion. Mo- Everything's out. We only accept what we want to. And I think Schweitzer was the right, you know, in saying this looks a lot like what you want it to look like and so anyways interesting good stuff so that's that's the last nerdy last nerdy nerdy shout out podcast for now yeah father john and father mike nerding out in rome Rome, i thought we should have a a kind of a technical nerdy podcast finishing with the nerd nerd um well it was great i hope we can do many more nerdy ones when i'm back in denver yeah for here that finishes it off well done thank you bud well, well, my phone. Okay, so my phone, phone ran died. out of juice. Yeah. I have an excuse every time, man, but I don't have any shout outs. What do you do if a guy says, Give my girlfriend a shout out, but she's no longer his girlfriend? Then you give her a shout out. All right. Elizabeth, you stick it to him. I'm sticking it to Fernando. Elizabeth, thanks for listening to the podcast. Fernando, start listening to the podcast. I hope they're still friends. They're still friends. But okay, he, good. Yeah, that was a funny one. These are a little outdated. Father David Bloom this summer. Uh, who's the vocation director in St. Paul, Minnesota. He was very friendly about the podcast. Oh, know? yeah? And he said there's some great listeners from uh, St. Patrick's and Oak, Oak Grove, especially Kathy Long, uh, who's a longtime listener. I don't know if that's Kathy Long or a longtime listener. Well, Kathy. Kathy, thanks for listening. Um, we love our Minnesotans. You know, everybody talks bad about the uh, banter, but um, I was getting a text from um, Ellie... Reinhardt, you know? Oh, Ellie. Ellie. We love Ellie. I miss you. And it, uh, T, uh, the autocorrect changed banter to body talk. Ooh, body <laughs> goes, talk. Don't let, don't let him hate you on the body talk. Keep up the, keep it up. And I was like, that's funny. So the body talk. So how Ellie, did you respond? Like, I was like, I don't you... know what body talk is. <laughs> that's <laughs> good. That's a good way to do it. I think that's something Goble does. And then, uh, last, last two, real quick. I owe an apology shout out to Cuthbert the Cat. Father Sam Moorhead's cat. I'm not supporting If this. you are at All Souls Parish and you this. told Father Sam I was dogging on his cat. Well, I shouldn't say it like that, but I was making fun of his cat. I have to repent of that, Cuthbert, for sitting in that, you know. I'm not apologizing to any cat. I don't trust them. You don't trust them? I don't them. trust them. They pounce. They're predators. They're predators, so. Benedict loved his cat, too, right? Pope Benedict? He does. That's right. Or so, two Sam, cats, I don't know. Cuthbert, my apologies. It's an English thing. It's just different than... Yeah. Our little German, well, German world. So, you know. Um, but it was great to see Father Sam was in town for Rome. So it's good Father to see Sam, him. you should put that cucumber behind him. Have you seen those videos on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> the cats freak out and they jump. Sorry. The best, 
Goebel loves his cat videos. Uh, the best one, though, is the uh, Sail. You know that song? Sail! Oh, the yeah. cats walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally eats it. Yeah, so. I went through Omaha, Nebraska this summer and was hanging with Father Taylor Leffler, who's a longtime fan, homeboy, great, yeah, yeah. great friend, newly ordained this summer. Super inspirational to me being with him. Just being at the altar with a newly ordained guy, it's like. It is great. We used to be it's fresh and awesome, yeah. and people were excited about us. Went to dinner that night. Um, uh, with Jeff and Lauren Green who listen to the podcast and their kids and then after mass met another couple who listen to the podcast Josh and Jenna Sochek so these are all people um, in Omaha uh, Nebraska who are friends of Father Taylor and just a lot of great people listening so thank you for them Jenna and John uh, wait Paul, as long as we're on Omaha you got some Father Omaha? Scott Hastings does he listen one of my good buddies from the casa no he doesn't listen <laughs> I don't know if you do listen let me know yeah that's right if you know him let him know he should listen. Sorry, I'm doing so many. I got to get them all out because I all don't right, know when the next time I podcast. He's but got his, the last one here, I know you hate. You got to know this about Father John. <laughs> he loves checking boxes. I love checking boxes. So I got one more though, and this is involves you. Do you know the name Monica Wagenka? Yeah. So we were on. We met her for mass, St. Peter's, and then we rode the bus back, and we talked all about nerdy German, German. grammar. You remember that? Oh yeah. So we got an email from Monica. So uh, she says, I'm sure you don't remember me, but I had a beer with you and Father Mike in Munich about, oh, it was in Munich two years ago. I'm from Ann Arbor. Recently oh, yeah, talked yeah, to yeah. Father the Dan beer garden outside of... Uh... Okay, so different girl, sorry. Uh, Monica Waganka in Munich two years ago. She goes, uh, number one, I never actually got a shout out from you guys. Number two, when we were drinking Whatever. beer, I mentioned that I studied zoology at MSU and Father Mike said that you guys wanted to do a podcast on animals in the Bible. I and have. Been, and I have been looking forward to that for oh, well, two years I want to do that. So just to let you know, she says, sorry for the sassy email. Could you please give a shout out to my former housemate, Emily Pohl, who also loves the podcast. Hope to hear a biblical animals podcast in the future in his love, Monica Waganka, College of Natural Science, Michigan State University. So that's what I'm sending you home with. How do you get Father Mike to do something? Yeah. You don't tell him what to do. Tell him never to do it. That's right. So don't ever do it. All right. I'll, I love you, girl. I'll, I'll try. So I love the animals, Animal too. podcast coming. So. And I've just been in a CZ, so this is timely. Well, this is the end. Here we are. All right. Ad multosanos. That's we a, act like we're dying. I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what is it? It's over? It's over. No, uh, our time here is uh, life has not ended but changed. Is that what we say in the funeral rites? Well, you're yeah. still here. I'm still here. So I, I'm still, still doing it. I'm going to miss home. Enjoy sweet Colorado. Drink good craft beer. Ski those beautiful Rocky Mountains. And I think uh, I mean the sad thing is it's over for you, dude. Like I'm gonna be talking to Olo and and uh Goble in no I time. Know, but I'll be back regularly, so yeah, you better be. We'll pop in. We'll so. miss you. Yeah, well thanks send for send us your sweet pictures if you I wanna will. sing songs, send them our way, you little jingles. It. You know me, just a lot of songs and jingles, you know. Sounds, so, poetry. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, Mikey, safe travels to enjoy your last 72 hours here in Rome. And, uh, yeah, safe travels. And you guys are going to get a lot of rap with the Gobes and Olaf this year. And I will be back in June. So I'll, I'll be in touch before then. But we'll see you at Seek. Bring your tattoos. Peace and goodness. Pace bene. Pax et bonum, folks. Catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.